0: Well, hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer, and uh, we have a really, really impressive show today. Look, I've I've got to reveal to you on Monday in the Switzer Report, I christened a group of uh, tech companies, ZEAT, uh, and Zet was like the new age of wax. In case you don't know what wax stocks are, they're the high tech stocks that did really well over the last three or four years. The f- most famous one, of course, is Afterpay. The group include WiseTech, Alp- Altium, Appen, Afterpay, and Zero, and they've been great performing stocks over a three or four year period. So I started to look for what might be the next group that could do well on this cycle, and I came up with the catchy word Zet. Now, Z stands for Zipco, um, uh, E stands for Elmo, uh, another one is EML Payments, and finally T is Tyro. Now, um, luckily, I've been able to secure the CEO of Zip, who's had a very good week because uh, his share price is up, uh, get this, 68%. So Monday, it was $3.74 when I wrote the piece. It's now $6.30. But look, I'm not taking any uh, credit for this whatsoever. There's been some big stories about Zip um, actually taking over a company in uh, New York called QuadPay. And Larry Diamond's going to come on and talk to us about Zip. I'm going to ask him about you know where it came from. How has got a competitive advantage? What's going to do? What's he going to do to catch up with Afterpay? Because clearly he's the second performer in the market when it comes to buy now pay later businesses. But you know he's really doing well. So it'll be interesting to see the story behind Larry and where he thinks the company's going. Then we're going to talk to Marcelo Romero, who started a, a basically a business to help people. Are really in the, the kind of space that you associate businesses being in the NDIS space. Over 300 employees, nominated for the Ernst & Young uh, Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Really, really interesting story. She's just like like a very normal person, but have very abnormal goals and has really converted it into a fantastic business. And finally, we have the MD of the UNHCR, um, World Refugee Days coming up. Michael Dwyer was formerly the CEO of First State Super, uh, a great performer in business, uh, and particularly in the area of superannuation. And I'm sure he's doing a great job with the UNHCR. That's the show. Without any further ado, let's get to know Larry Diamond. Thanks for coming on the program.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, it's been a great week for you guys. Uh, I just had a quick, quick check. You're up about 68% uh, since Monday. And I know CEOs don't worry about um, share prices, but it's just good when the market likes what you're doing. It's been a big week for you. And I want to get to that in a second, why it has been a big week. But a lot of people always wonder like, where do you people come from? And and I happen to know one of your best rivals, namely Anthony Eisen from Afterpay. I taught him many years ago, so he comes from Victoria Road, Bellevue Hill. Um, so um, and he's always been aspirational, and I'm not surprised he's done what he's done. But I think I uh, interviewed you guys when your share price was about a dollar twenty or something like that, and you, you had a nice rise after that interview. You never sent me a Christmas card, either, Larry. I always it was That's Peter's fault. It wasn't you; it was Peter's fault, yeah, yeah, but. Well, I think a lot of people wonder, where did you get the idea from to do this, and why is Australia seemingly in the forefront of buy-now-pay-later businesses?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, so, I mean, my background was in uh, technology and then, and then finance, so I worked at uh, Macquarie and... Uh, Deutsche Bank, and uh, you know, was fortunately made redundant there actually uh, in uh, in 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 2012. So this is really the after the
0: GFC in a sense. Yes, I
1: managed Mm. to survive the GFC as there were layoffs and uh, recover, uh, and then ultimately things just didn't work out. But a a great learning background. So my background very much came from finance. Did a lot of work at Macquarie financial modelling, Mm. understanding credit markets, and also technology. I worked at Pacific Brands in the technology division, helping Bonds Burley on their tech strategy in the early days. Mm. So that sort of business analyst. Mind and uh, and and then obviously um, finance. Uh, when I was made redundant, started doing a lot of work on what I should do next. It was quite a daunting experience mm. to work out what to do next, and thankfully managed to connect up with a friend of mine, uh, Greg, who who, uh, who who's the founder of Prosper, cool. uh, and and was working very closely with him. And we started just discussing uh, some of the different models out there, you mm. know, world of credit payments, and I got really connected to the consumer finance world. This idea that it's really hard. To acquire customers directly, the banks are spending hundreds of dollars to acquire customers. Uh, credit cards, we believe, were fundamentally broken. You know, it, we'd seen the success of G and Harvey Norman, who'd mm. done a great job at, at the interest-free proposition, and we just felt that a number of factors were sort of coming together uh, to to create something, create something new. You know, technology was just getting to that phase where you could actually onboard a customer, assess their risk mm. in in microseconds you know mm. the ability to plug into retailers could now happen really really quickly mm. uh, and so those factors sort of came together and gave me a lot of passion to uh, really disrupt the world of credit cards um, and ultimately build a long-term financial partnership with customers but seeing payments as the access point yes you know, so idea if you can catch them while they're while they're shopping mm. onboard them quickly but then build up you know deliver an app and build up a great experience are them. you
0: feeling that there is substantial customer loyalty to zip
1: Absolutely. Mm. And even Ilion, which is a former Dun & Bradstreet, did a study earlier this year, which surveyed customers. And they found that buy now, pay later customers prefer, uh, preferenced repaying buy now, pay later over credit cards. Mm. And so we've had this theory, which is to say, okay, particularly as we get into um, economic cycles, such as now, what happens to consumer credit? And you know, our thesis is always that because the brand lives at checkout, it is where you are every day, shopping yep. online, shopping yep. in-store. You have a very different relationship to it than the credit card sitting in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. And we do believe that we are enabling customers and they're building deep, deep loyalty with the app.
0: Yeah, and uh, there are two questions in my head. I'll get the f- first one out. Mm-hmm. The second one is more related to what you just said then. But the first question is um, – you, you, know, you work for Macquarie, and I know when I interviewed Alan Moss, the old CEO, many years ago, he actually explained to me that Macquarie's model was, in a sense, to encourage a lot of people within the, the organisation to think like a small business, be entrepreneurial, yeah. think of yeah. things that Macquarie could do that an entrepreneurial small business would do, but that you would give them, or he would give them the advantage of more capital yeah. and information and competitive advantage information that a lot of small businesses would never have. did did you learn from that or or, or was it through osmosis you saw what was going on and therefore you embraced it yourself
1: I think it's absolutely spot on you know I started there as a as a graduate outside Nicholas Mall's office. And it was a glass office, so you could see my screen. Yeah. And very new world for me. Uh, and absolutely, that, that was the culture that we saw, this idea. And that's why you had a lot of longevity within, within, within the Macquarie family. Yeah. Um, you know, EDs have been there for many, many years. This idea that if you see an opportunity, um, and it's a credible opportunity, and you have to get it signed off, of course. Mm. But absolutely, and that's, I think, it bred that culture of entrepreneurialism yeah. within, with, within the group. We saw it across the board. We, we jumped into soft commodities in the uh, timbercore almond, um, almond orchard days. And that was because my boss was really excited by soft commodities as a great export opportunity for for Australia. Mm. And they started buying up farmland, almond orchards and, and the like. But it was a brand new idea. The support was there. We did a lot of
0: work to convince uh, the principal team to, to invest. And mm. off we went. It's funny. One of the, um, the dumbest things I ever did was go to a special presentation by someone at Macquarie about a thing called... Um, um, things that Transurban does, you know, motorways, paid motorways, right? And um, the Macquarie at that point in time was planning to get into motorways everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy basically said, "This to be money for Jam." And I just, I just did not see it as well as I should have. I've always been invested in Macquarie anyway, but uh, that was like. A classic example, they saw the future of motorways and the kind of money that would uh, actually um, give them and it's really worked off really well. Now, the second question, I'm surprised I even remembered it, was <laughs> when you started off, one of your competitive disadvantages, which I always thought was a really good thing, was you, were, you weren't going to play as fast and loose with giving credit as afterpay was. And so, in a sense, it, it kind of slowed down your growth because you actually put more credit checks on on people who, who bought. Um, has that ended up being a, a good thing or something that you've been able to live with because you're now getting the growth?
1: Yeah, look when 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 Pete and I came together to sort of found the business, um, there were some joint values around how we thought about this this space of issuing microcredit in 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 real time, yeah. and 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 of the and and as you do that, there was a duty of, of responsibility and We've built that into into the DNA of the organization. Not everyone is eligible for credit. Not yeah. everyone wants credit, um, yeah. and we still find want to find a way to kind of work with all 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 customers. So it does mean you can't approve one hundred percent of customers that. Mm. That, that come through but it's always a, a balance between risk and reward uh, and we think we, we sort of have, have found uh, the right the right space we weren't in there for a one- year or two-year story it's about um, a long-term story this is a very large market opportunity uh, and the disciplines that we've put in place we think are really really important and mm-hmm. and have obviously weathered um, a lot of scrutiny obviously obviously over the last couple of years from regulators and and um, and so mm-hmm. forth and it's important I think the the coming together of, of um, innovation and also uh, b- being mindful of the protections that they're imp- they're important to, to, to build into products.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the, the big story this week because, mm-hmm. you know, um, you're, a, you're an Australian company and you've now gone and bought – well, you had 15% of quad pay, didn't yep. you? Yep. And you've now got a lot. Is that mm-hmm. is that right? Yep. Uh, is it a New York-based business? that's right actually
1: a, a couple of aussies yeah. moved across to america five years ago set up shop in new york yeah. when the buy now pay later scene also hadn't really got going over there mm-hmm. saw the opportunity and in fact the uh, a bigger opportunity over there given the size of the market and yeah. a, lot, a lot of the uh, a lot of the factors that at, at play. And um, we actually inherited the, the, the stake from the acquisition we, we made last year uh, of part pay which was this global installment As a kiwi, business, was it? kiwi business yeah. out of Auckland a guy by the name of John O'Sullivan started They're
0: smart, that they smart those Kiwis aren't they we, they, we they, they do punch above their
1: weight they do they really do. Yeah. <laughs> I've had many bosses who uh, have come from New Zealand and, yeah. and very impressive indeed. So yeah, yeah I mean who would have thought you know a, a Kiwi business actually went went global mm. before zip and uh, you know we, we sort of partnered with them, inherited this st- strategic interest in quad pay and we're incredibly impressed by the by the guys.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's Elizabeth, the next question. Why is Australia, and uh, let's give the Kiwis some uh, credit here, why are they ahead of the game when it comes to buy now, pay later business? Because it was an American company that actually listed here to do buy now, pay later in America. They weren't even chasing our customers. I can't recall their name, I know I interviewed them on, on, yeah. on our program. Uh, but. Why are we so ahead of the curve on this?
1: Yeah, it's a, look, it's it's a good question. I think there's a couple of factors at play here. Uh, one is the int- the world of interest free was de- definitely started uh, over here in Australia uh, many many years ago, even before we came along. Thanks to Jerry Harvey and 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 so forth. So creating the right product fit for the customer yeah. in countries like America, they did have these solutions, but they were interest bearing they they charge customers' interest when you went into the store mm. you'd basically have an interest bearing installment mm. so I do think the product fit was much much better here and so therefore you know and we've seen models globally change and adapt to to this interest free solution I think the other critical factor is that we uh, you know, particularly the last six, seven years, the ASX has been a great platform for supporting uh, early stage tech, mm. you know, access to capital, capital breeds growth and obviously needs to deliver on the growth. So I think a mixture of those two things have been incredibly powerful. Would have been a lot harder, I think, if we were private over here, yeah. candidly.
0: And what about the role of big banks? Because like Westpac is, a, a, um, is, is it a shareholder in Zip or is it a funder? What is Westpac's role with you guys?
1: Yeah, so we've we've actually got two relationships with the banks. So Westpac is a, an equity shareholder, yeah. minority shareholder, and um, we actually have banking relationships with uh, National Australia Bankers as well.
0: Because mm, yeah, because like now had roles, I think in afterpay in the early days. So yeah. my question is, our, the size of our banks does that make it easier or harder to do something which I would have thought they would have loved to have bought you when you were really cheap?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. The big the big challenge is a. Is a for, for big business in general you know that uh, the, the ability to innovate the ability to move quickly mm. is incredibly challenging and it 's a function of uh the technology infrastructure if you have new built tech, you can move quickly you can deliver new new products and then the ways of working uh, mm. i think you know internally big organizations it 's incredibly difficult that 's why startups become scale ups that can take on take on the big banks
0: mm. what 's the you know i always ask people i'm um, talking to who run companies <laughs> that people can invest in. Don't worry about coughing, mate. This is a, a, <laughs> a rough radio program. If you've got a cough, you cough. We're
1: distancing. There's no problem at
0: all, mate. We got, we're, by the way, we should say we're, we're, we're more than three pizza boxes apart. So we're, Absolutely. You know, we're and we haven't even
1: eaten them yet. So no, that's, that's right. Uh,
0: the, the, the question I think I, I have for you then is uh, what's the potential in America? Given mm-hmm. the fact that we are ahead of the curve, mm-hmm. um, what kind of – Growth potential, do you think is out there for you guys? Yeah, US very
1: large market, north of five trillion dollars in retail, uh, and that doesn't include all all payments. And you know, more than ten percent of that is is online. So you contrast that with the with Australia retail industry of just north of three hundred billion, and you know, probably ten percent of that is, is is online. And what we're seeing here is, you know, one in ten customers are, are using buy now pay later. In some in some categories, it's even it's even more one in one in five. Mm-hmm. And online checkouts. That can be anywhere from 20 to 40 percent <laughs> share of checkout going through buy now pay later rails. So, if we contrast that to the US, 20 times the market size, uh, incredibly, incredibly large. Mm-hmm. And even the players that are there, who are a little bit ahead of us, some of the peers that you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, they might have five million customers. Uh, the QuadPay team has one and a half million customers, mm. so you can just see the opportunity there. But it's incredibly important to move quickly, mm. um, sign up the right deals, and, and build strong
0: and marketing. Like you know, American advertising, nothing makes me more laugh more than going to America and watching you know, serious ads. They're so yeah. funny. But how are you going to market this? Because clearly you start with younger people, but. I guess older people are starting to realise that you guys are okay, particularly as that they can manage to actually pay back their, their bill really quickly and they end up with any real cost.
1: Yeah, exactly. And in fact, uh, there's a stat now one in one in five are coming from the Gen X category. So it, uh, you know for f- for zip well, those and old people, those Gen X people, <laughs> <laughs> how dare they! <laughs> The average average age of a Zip customer now is close to 35. So mm-hmm. it's really on, the, on that cusp between yeah. older millennial and, 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 and Gen X. So our mm-hmm. view is that this aversion from the credit card, the stats in the States I read a couple of years ago was the, the penetration for credit cards in the under 35s is the lowest since the 1980s. You mm-hmm. know, and, that, and that's parents who have potentially gone through the GFC. And so these, these trends we see as, as, as absolutely continuing.
0: Okay. Got, there's two questions I have to ask you. One is... Mm-hmm. What could go wrong? You know, because you, know, you know yourself. You're smart enough to know a lot of Aussie companies have gone overseas, looked terrific here, and found it hard overseas. Yep. What could go wrong? So we do a, a pre-mortem, <laughs> which is a, yeah. well, because you're because you're a great CEO, Larry. Yeah. You you would do the risk management, and you would work out the things that can go right and the things that can go wrong for yep. people who have invested or people thinking of investing. Yeah, I always absolutely. like say, Well, what, what could go wrong? So first and foremost, uh, execution risk.
1: Is, is obviously one and it's one that we, we look at for for ourselves. Even if you've got a great product fit and you've got a great market opportunity, great unit economics, the ability for the management team to execute is, is one that's absolutely paramount. And even even at Zip, if you look at our exec team, 50% are uh, have been with us for less than six months. So we, we've brought in some new capability to help us on the, on the next phase of journey. So I think as you get bigger, being able to maintain the hustle, the velocity, the ideation at scale is definitely an execution point, right? So yeah. that's that's probably first and foremost. Uh, I think secondly, um, the the competitive threats. How quickly do the big elephants r- respond? You know, mm. We are like, dancing like with Visa the elephants. MasterCard. Visa, MasterCard, yeah. PayPal. They seem
0: so slow, haven't they? Right. But was-
1: no doubt they're all thinking about it. Yeah. Some of them have made investments in buy now, pay later. So they absolutely validate the sector. Mm. But how quickly do we see... A response from the competition because yep. there are those that have deeper pockets mm. and more access to, to capital and uh, and uh, retailers.
0: Mm, okay and uh, my next question is um, when you look at the timing of this some people would say have these guys been um, advantaged by the fact that Australia got over the coronavirus mm. threat fairly quickly very quickly mm. completely of the world and America still is struggling and retail would have suffered because of that and quad pay would have been exposed to retail did you did you get a better price because of it do you think
1: so we we started working on this transaction about six months ago okay and we're about to pull the trigger pre-covid yeah okay and as a board we were living in very uncertain times and if you sort of contrast back just eight 12 weeks so it's crazy to think where, where we all were. We mm. were sitting there coming into COVID, trying to work out what's the customer reaction going to be, yeah. both in terms of usage, but also in terms of credit performance. Mm. And I think what we've seen is really strong resilience to the sector, a flight to online, mm. and credit performance has actually been Really good. Mm. Uh, that's not to say that losses won't increase over the next six months as mm. unemployment starts to fall through. But we've seen it zip in April and May. Some of the strongest periods of repayments that we have ever seen. You know, mm. significantly above. So I don't know whether Australians are more, more responsible. They're really, you know, and so these things are really positive uh, positive factors. Uh, once we saw things recover, and we saw the resilience, we validated our long term thesis for this sector still holds holds true. And and for us, it's important to go now. Because in a couple of years' time, the, uh, the industry might have got ahead of itself. Yeah.
0: Great answer, Larry, but you didn't say whether you got cheaper because of co- the coronavirus.
1: I, I think we got a really, really good price. I Thank think, I think we, we validated the value that the founders had built to the business. Mm. We also delivered a, because of the share price recovery of Zip, we actually were able to deliver a, a revenue and TTV accretive transaction, which I Mm. think is really important for for shareholders. So yes, I think you would argue the recovery in the share price actually helped make make the transaction more exciting.
0: Okay, mate. Well, it's a great story. And uh, I know I'm an old fashioned person who likes to always root for Aussies doing really good jobs, whether it be in sport or in business, and you're doing a great job. Congratulations. and I hope it keeps up.
1: Thanks so much.
0: This is a time when we always look to find some good thing to sell, and I reckon a fantastic to sell uh, thing to sell is the Switzer Report. It has some of the best stock tips from some of the best stock tipsters in the country. And then recently, I've just noticed that my wife has been making a fortune on the stock market, and I said to her, how have you been doing that? She said, well, I do edit the Switzer Report, so I've been taking all your tips and actually putting them into play, and she's done fantastically well. I reckon you could get endorsement for more in any old day of the week. Anyway, that's a, that's a really honest observation of this uh, Switzer report. So just go to switzerreport.com.au. It'll cost you three hundred and ninety-seven dollars. The best three hundred and ninety-seven dollars you'll ever spend, and it probably will be tax deductible for you as well. I'm talking to the founder and CEO of a Reba Group. Marcella Romero. Nice to have you on the program, Marcella. Thank you for having me, Peter. Okay, so tell us about the beginnings of your business, but at the same time, explain to my listeners what your business actually does.
2: Okay, so um, I'm the, the CEO of Ariba Group, and Ariba Group consists of three businesses Rehab Management, Aim Big, and Live Big, and all three are around health. Uh, so workplace rehabilitation, disability employment services and also therapy services for people with disability under the NDIS. And um, the passion for me wanting to work with people um, who are a little bit um, disadvantaged or or needed more help was when uh, I grew up, uh, I was actually born in Chile so I may have a bit of an accent but I speak Spanish and I came to Australia when I was uh, at the age of nine and it was very difficult to assimilate into a country where I couldn't speak English. So it was very difficult at the start. But I think that that certainly developed my resilience and me wanting to do something in the future and wanting to do something where I would like to help people. So that is all how it started. Mm-hmm. And I had a dream of building a big company that um, one day my parents would be proud of. So, uh, yeah, that's how it all came about. Okay. So I, I had...
0: Well it's a great story so let me get this right then. The group now is a multi-million dollar group with over 395 diverse employees a 106 offices so that's a pretty spectacular growth. Marcella, how did you do it? Well um, I, I love growth and one of the things I think um, I've always
2: wanted to be different so when we are delivering services, the services needed to be of high quality, uh, they needed to have that innovation flair to them and having that focused on our people, delivering the services but also our customers and making sure that uh, you, you know they've become the, at the heart of everything we do and in doing, good, providing a quality service, focusing on our people, retaining our people Uh, really focusing on our customer engagement experience and really doing it in a quality way, but also um, focusing on innovation. And I think that over the years, I I had this dream and passion and vision for being the number one provider and I joined a team and I have a fantastic team of uh, people that work with me. Mm. So, Yeah.
0: Okay, now I've got more forensic questions because that was a fantastic answer. And, you know, if I was a university student, I'd be writing down, oh, she does this, she does that. And it was fantastic. It was brilliant. And someone like me who have been, I've probably done 5,000 small business success stories in my lifetime, but, yeah, you you came up with all the right answers. But someone listening to this say, yeah, but how did she start? How did she start and how did she go to get... 106 offers and 365 um, staff members. You're going to have to do better than that, Marcel. You're going to have to explain what was the first business you started and how did you actually see the growth and how did you do it? No covering up with fancy answers like the last one.
2: Okay, <laughs> sure. So <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so essentially, I started 22 20 years ago with yep. rehab management. And I, as I said, as a, as a young girl, I've, I had this dream of one day having a, a big uh, national company that was renowned for good quality. Yeah. So I started working from my home office in yeah. Huntersville and I grew back. I only had a few contractors and they usually used to have my meetings at five at three o'clock on a Friday, so I had 100% attendance because yeah. I, I had bubbles <laughs> But anyway, it, it grew because... I had that passion for the work that I do and I have a passion for growing
0: businesses yeah but also you must have seen a gap in the market because you operated from a home office you were smart enough to get contractors who I guess when you' all said and done could have could have been doing what you're doing but you could see how you could get them all together and satisfy you know a growing group of customers who wanted you to solve their problems. Was that the way it kinda of evolved?
2: Yes. And I think even now I think people wanna people that allied health professionals, so I'm an occupational therapist background. Uh mm. naturally people are compassionate and I want to help people. But I also have that commercial flair, a bit of an entrepreneur. So mm. I wanted to work with people, lead people and have a passion for being um, for joining me in this incredible journey of helping people but at the same time growing. And I think that's why people are attracted and we're quite agile and dynamic and people Mm. are attracted to that. Uh, So I think that's why people join the business and it continues to grow. Did
0: did you see that what was being delivered as a service to the people you wanted to look after lacked something which you decided you would – put that thing that's lacked and make sure that all the people who work for you did that and that added to your competitive advantage?
2: Yes, innovation. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, in, in our world, uh, in our industry of uh, employment, disability uh, and workplace rehabilitation, um, digital innovation is lacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since uh, I think for the last 10 years, I've had an extremely good focus, later focus, uh, on innovation. So we are delivering a service, but we're doing it differently, we're doing it quickly, and we're utilizing and leveraging technology and uh, now data, artificial intelligence. So it's really focusing on that as a point of different innovation.
0: Okay, okay. give us an example of a innovation, maybe using technology that made sure. your business better than, than your rivals. Okay.
2: So I'll go back to the first one that we won at ComCare, our national government award was uh, a product called Aaron Reach. So we were utilising technology like what we are using now for Zoom, for example, to service people in remote areas. So a lot of our there was a gap. A lot of our clients were saying, look, we don't have anybody to service someone in remote. Um, or someone in the middle of nowhere, but we were able to use technology to be able to do that, and mm. do it very efficiently and very cost-effective for our customers. So that was our first one back in 2014. Uh, recently, um, we've also uh, put another program together called Busy Beans, and that's a program for Aim Big, and that actually got an award from the AFR at uh, the, the eighth most innovative company in Australia and New Zealand last year. And that's a pro- and that's a program, an innovative program. The service of people with disability by increasing their uh, ability to work, for example, as a barista mm-hmm. uh, internally. So we developed that and we put the process to be able to do that. And the third one that we've done is really applicable for today with COVID. And it's a, uh, it's a digital, it's a program called Checking Today. and It's utilizing a digital platform to assess people's health and well-being and providing a tailored intervention program whilst they're at home. So there are three different programs that we've uh, we've developed in the last uh, five years. We've got a lot more. They're just three different examples.
0: Okay, Marcella, be honest with us now. How come you're so tech savvy? I'm not really. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's better. That's a great answer. That means you're, you're solution savvy. And so along the way... How, how, have you had anyone in your, in your work sphere who actually says, oh, if that's your problem, I think technology might do it, Marcella. Do you want to try this?
2: We, we have a whole team. So our business, we've got four teams. Each business has an innovation manager, yep. and innovation customer manager. Um, there's myself and I also have an external person that di- uh, specializes in digital. Uh, and what we do is that uh, we get together as a, as a team weekly, and look at gaps in in the market and really forecasting forward of what's happening. So this checking today was developed uh, a year ago uh, for emergency services in Tasmania, so it's not something new, but we, we smell the gaps in the industry. Mm. We talk about it and we come up with a solution. I think that's a really good differentiation point for us mm. and I believe that's why it allowed us to continue to grow nationally.
0: How important has it been for governments to be your customer occasionally or, or, or often?
2: Well, um, back back about 10 years ago, Uh, there was lots of changes in legislation in state-based workers' comp, et cetera, et cetera. So we, in 2010, we decided that we needed a strategy to diversify and really focus on government because Mm. government tenders or panels, uh, you know, they're going for about 10 to 15 years. So we're really focused on winning tenders. So since 2010, we've got 100% success rate and we're really focused on government. And right now we have about 20, uh, actually about 34% market share in government Uh, Mm. doing their workplace rehabilitation.
0: Did NDIS help?
2: Yes. So, right now, a third business, Live Big, and we provide therapy services under NDIS. Mm. Uh, Initially, it was a bit difficult to navigate through the process, but it has um, settled down a bit. And we are definitely going to disrupt the market as well, in that world, and we've already developed an app. And it's
0: going to market in quarter one of next financial year. Okay. Now, you, you've been nominated for the EY Entrepreneurial Winning Women Global Program. Congratulations. Thank now, you. I'm going to ask you this who, who have been your big inspirations, either you know entrepreneurs or people you know really well who explain why you've done so well, or books that you might have read? Because, you know, people listening to this are going to so say, this is a very high-achieving woman. I'd love to know what has actually helped power her to, to get where she is, apart from her own clearly strong self-motivation.
2: I think for me, passion. I just absolutely love what I do. And I, and I like succeeding. I like growing, but growing with team. So, and I also like to be different. So Steve Jobs uh, from Apple, obviously, he did things differently. He grew something phenomenal. Mm. But he thought differently, um, and I guess some of the, not, not every part of his personality or characteristics are lies, but his ability to do that teamwork and come up with something new that has a wow factor. And mm. I think I'm very much a team player, so I would have never done this by myself. I've got an incredible team of leaders and uh, at different levels. Every, every person in the business is important to me, mm. and I think I treat them with respect, uh, and I think people want to be a part of something big and I think that's what's important for us to continue to grow but what motivates me, it's it, it succeeding, it's winning um, and I learn from failures, I don't take it well but you, I think it's good to sometimes fail and, and learn from us get up and go and be resilient uh, and I think that's really important because it's all part of that improvement and, and keep going I guess so mm-hmm. being, being passionate about what I do and loving what I do helping people but also helping people around me uh, to succeed as well, mm. and looking at female uh, female leaders. Uh, I, I, I like that. I have a lot of female leaders in the business, and very, having a good diversity of female leaders, people from different nationalities, being a Chilean myself, that that's important to me as well, but giving everybody an opportunity um, to, to succeed as a group mm. leading forward. I think that's really important to me.
0: Is there one Australian female leader that you um, admire?
2: Um, well, there's a few, um, I guess the, the red balloon, uh, sorry, my, my red balloon. Yeah, Naomi
0: Simpson. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, she's inspiring. She was on women's program as well. Yeah. And I like it because I like the color red. Mm. <laughs> that's my favorite color. Mm-hmm. But I like what she's done and I like her passion and, and her innovation. I think that's really, really
0: cool too. Yeah. Great um, stuff, Marcella, I think. Chile's loss has been Australia's gain. Thanks for joining us on the program.
2: Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time.
0: And that was Marcella Romero. What a great story. What an enthusiastic woman. Um, what a great story. before, <laughs> It's a great story. I can't argue with myself on that. Now, we're going to have an ad. And the ad I'd like to push today is my book, Um join the rich club. Look, in case you've been too busy to get rich and you thought, ah, oh, yeah, it sounds like a good idea, but yeah, I gotta wait for the book to show up and you yeah, it's gonna cost what, nearly twenty five dollars? Twenty four ninety five? Then postage and handling. But I figure, you know, it's gonna come in under thirty dollars for sure, with the postage and handling. No? Over. Okay, John, my John my producer's here, come on. Tell Thank me thirty two, okay. So let's be precise. But Yeah, and for some people, it may well, if you, for example, got a super fund, you could actually probably claim it as a tax deduction as well. Uh, But the bottom line is we wrote this book to try and help you get rich. And it's really easy to read. It has some really great ideas. And uh, look, if you you buy it and you don't like it, send it back and I'll send you back the money. And And I'll actually pay you for the postage and handling as well. So there's my bet to you or my offer to you. Uh, The bet is I know you're going to enjoy it and you won't send it back. So the uh, website they go to is switzerstore.com.au and you'll find the book, Join the Rich Club. I hope you can join the rich club. My next guest is Michael Dwyer, who's the chairman of Australia for UNHCR. Michael, thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you, Peter. Good morning.
0: Now, a lot of people have heard UNHCR for a long time, and we know it's sort of something good. Explain what those letters stand for.
3: Uh, The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Uh, So it is is the frontline United Nations group that goes into um, usually situations where people are largely, 80% of refugees are women and children, so largely where people have been, made homeless and displaced and have very little means of support in war-torn areas. Um, but in more recent times, uh, UNHCR have been at the forefront of major catastrophes around the world. There's currently 71 million displaced people they're trying to look after.
0: Yeah. So, so Michael, as chairman, does that mean that you occasionally go on the ground to see what's going on or basically you're you're forced to stay at head office and they give you videos of what's going on? No,
3: Peter, I've been involved since 2000, the year 2000, and I've, uh, I've been to um, a number of refugee camps, uh, East Timor, and uh, I've also been to Lebanon and Turkey and down near the Syrian border a couple of years back. I went there with a delegation involving uh, uh, Tony Shepard and a number of key business people to see firsthand what it's like for people living in tents in those war-torn situations.
0: Mm. So so what do you tell your children when they ask you about
3: well, I say there, but for the grace of God, um, it's it's really a situation that is not just a problem for other countries. It's a, it's a it's a situation that we have all a role to play, trying to help our fellow human beings. And that's where Australians are absolutely marvellous in that they are we are a generous people. We believe in the the idea of a fair go. Um, and I think the support that they've given our organisation, Australia Pew and HCR, over now, a 20-year period, has just been absolutely outstanding. But unfortunately, the, the need doesn't get less, it gets more. Mm. I think we can see that in our nightly news.
0: Michael, uh, we've all heard of this as well, but we don't necessarily understand what it means, World Refugee Day.
3: Yes, well, World Refugee Day is, is really about... Um, celebrating the contribution that people from a refugee background actually give to, uh, to the world and to various countries where they settle. Do you know, most refugees, when I was sitting in tents along the Syrian border back in 2017, most of the refugees, if not nearly all the refugees, didn't want to go anywhere else other than home. They wanted to be returned to their homeland. And, of course, in many situations, that's dangerous and very difficult. But World Refugee Day is to really give us a focus. And uh, here in Australia, we've run, for the last 20 years, annual World Refugee Day breakfasts. Um, this year, of course, uh, we are um, COVID-19 bound, and therefore we're looking to do something on a virtual basis. But it's, it's all about creating an opportunity for refugee experiences and stories to be front and centre in people's minds. Mm. It's also educating all of us about who refugees are and why they've been forced, in many cases, to flee their homes. It helps people understand the many challenges that the refugees face in their journeys. Um, and you know, we hear from people that inspire us, um, and, it's, and they inspire individuals and corporates to do something
0: positive for refugees,
3: um, be they called refugees or asylum seekers or displaced people around the world. Mm. These are people that are in great need
0: mm Yeah, uh, and I guess as I'm looking here, looking at your surname Dwyer, and, and knowing that my forebears actually came from Ireland, even though Switzerland doesn't sound like an Irish name, they did come from Ireland. Our, Irish people ultimately were refugees after the the potato famine, and uh, a lot of refugee, a lot of Irish people would have come to Australia effectively as refugees. No, you're
3: exactly right. In fact, we've all come from somewhere. Uh, it's just uh, on a timeline. It's uh, it's. In, in your case and mine, it goes back probably many, many decades. Mm. Uh, Michael Dwyer actually was a famous Irish bush ranger who was uh, transported to Australia, um, ended up becoming the police commissioner. It was actually a <laughs> monument to him out at Waverley Cemetery. So, um,
0: uh, from criminal right. to police commissioner, well, that sounds unusual.
3: <laughs> indeed, indeed. But yes, the, the contribution that refugees make mm. uh, to every country they go to is, is absolutely outstanding. From... You know the the medal and albrights of the world uh, uh, in the United States to to Gustav Nossel, who uh, uh, came to to Australia. Les Murray, uh, one of our famous um, sports commentators, uh, mm. came from Hungary uh, and was and, uh, was a strong supporter of ours over many years. He and Frank Lowe
0: strong uh, so, Michael, what is the UN planning for Re- World Refugee Day this year, considering you know, you, you've said the virtual um, aspects, but is it going to be sort of like a, a marquee uh, activity that you know you, ultimately the media will focus on to, to let people know this is all on today?
3: Well, hopefully that's the case. We're having a virtual um, celebration of World Refugee Day on Thursday the 18th of June. It'll be from 4 to 5 p.m. Online, and we're asking for a donation of $60 to, to participate. We are particularly pleased and excited that um, one of our World Refugee Day representatives, uh, Kate Blanchett, has uh, agreed to do a, a live, in-depth conversation uh, about her work and about refugees. And uh, pleasingly for us, uh, our Australian UNHCR Special Representative, Martha Lusidor, is... Uh, is a friend of Kate's, and she's going to interview her live. So it'll also feature, you know, we have a, a, an inspiring refugee advocate, uh, Mayor Chagai, a former South Sydney's refugee now living in Australia and coaching the Savannah Pride Basketball Club in Blacktown, Sydney, will also be a, um, a reminder of this great contribution. But I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Martha and Kate talking yeah, about yeah. their own field experiences because they both travelled widely. They've been to Jordan, Lebanon, Uganda and a range of other situations. I mean, these women um, are not just talking in theory. They have actually gone out into the field, and they are uh, women of action. The leadership they're showing is is truly inspiring.
0: Yeah, two very great actors as well. Um, So how can people get involved?
3: Well, I'd love them to come along to our our celebration, our event, uh, Mm -hmm. and to to make that $60 donation. Um, You know, it's... uh, Uh, they can find the uh, the, uh, email address, uh, sorry, the uh, website address on our uh, website, but it's it's Com. World Refugee Day Live with Cape Blanchett. I really think if they uh, search on Live with Cape Blanchett for World Refugee Day, they'll be directed to that. Uh, But I think it's going to be one of those moments in time where we all just come together. I mean, as I said, the... The humanitarian sort of focus of, of Australians. Do you know that the number of um, Australian donors is a- absolutely uh, staggering? Mm. In two thousand and nineteen, we had ninety thousand donors who raised thirty-one and a half million dollars. Um, we've had since we began. We've had four hundred thousand plus Australians mm. have all chipped in to support the important work, and we've raised since two thousand. We've raised three hundred million dollars. Uh, from Australians. So, anyone who says to me that Australians are not compassionate or they're not generous or they don't care, I tell you, I've seen firsthand that that is just totally wrong. Uh, and I've got 90,000 donors that can actually uh, demonstrate their bona fides in terms of caring for their fellow man.
0: Yeah, well, we hope we can increase those numbers and uh, take you to a, a record high because certainly I think a lot of people, and I, I've Personally, I didn't know enough about World Refugee Day. I didn't know enough about, you know, what kind of um, request that you might have. And it seems quite, quite a small request to help a whole bunch of people who we all think are in a terrible situation. So, Michael, I wish you all the best. I think we should, we should just repeat one more time that website if people want to get involved.
3: I will, and corporate tables are available. It would be wonderful if the corporate sector, which they've always supported us very strongly. If they could sort of take a table and just give us the, the names and email addresses of, of you know 10 of their, their staff members, we'll keep in contact with them. That would be great. But it's, it's https uh, colon slash slash event dot humanitex, H-U-M-A-N-I-T-I-X dot com slash World Refugee Day Live with Kate
0: Blanchett I think you're right I'll be putting in Kate Blanchett live UNHCR <laughs> that, 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 that's the Good sort idea. of thing that a public servant would have worked out mate. <laughs> but still <laughs> it was accurate and I really uh, wish you all the best and by the way I should ask the final question uh, what would a corporate pay for a table uh, well uh, it's it's around $3,000 $3, okay. um, and okay. so
3: part of that is uh, well a big part of it is going to um
0: I was going to say for we a breakfast, they would have paid for their breakfast, but that will all go to helping uh, refugees who are in need. Well, considering that the girth of many um, top CEOs, they don't need a breakfast. Let them pay the money and <laughs> and save on the on the calories. Michael, thanks very much for joining us.
3: Thank you, Peter. Much appreciated.
0: Well, that's the end of the show. Look, let me say this to you. I did mention it during the interview with Larry. Yes, I am invested in Zip money or Zip Co. Um, and look, I was going to write something and at least put my money or my skin in the game. So my skin is in the game. I want to say it's not financial advice. The company could do well in the future. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it will. It clearly has a, had a big run up, so it may well go sideways for a while. But it's certainly a business worth watching. And as far as Australian stories go, it's a success story worth noting. That's the show for this week. I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank yeah.